A Christian, an atheist, and a Buddhist walk into a church. This sounds like the start of a joke. And we probably couldn't be blamed given the state of the world today and the depth of our divisions amongst one another if we were to think maybe this was a joke. This can't possibly be real. This shouldn't work. What we do here in the Unitarian Universalist Church on a Sunday, gathering together people of myriad beliefs and no beliefs. This should not work. But it does. So how did we get here? The answer is it's built in to the DNA of our ever-evolving, ever-progressing faith tradition. Even as far back as the 15th century, in a time when in your nation you were the same religion as your king was, there was one king and there was one true faith that was dictated by the king. Even in the 15th century, when in the Unitarian Kingdom of Transylvania, King John Sigismund put forth the first edict of religious tolerance in the Western world, we started making a change. Now, granted, that edict of tolerance said you could be Unitarian or Protestant or Catholic, and that was it. Not a wide menu of choices, but still a pretty important step along the way. And when our pilgrim ancestors made their way across the Atlantic to settle in the Plymouth colony, the very first covenant that they profess that's still written in the walls of the first church in Plymouth today, we pledge to walk together in the ways of love, known and to be made known. We're not done figuring it out, folks. What we believe is ever-changing as we come to understand it. And the Unitarians split from those Congregationalists not too long after in the grand scheme of things. And after that split, the divide in beliefs started to happen kind of naturally within the church. And we had Christian Unitarians and we had Transcendentalist Unitarians and Unitarians who were very, very interested in the religions of the East and what they might have to tell us. Pretty soon, there were multiple beliefs in Unitarian churches. In 1871, James Freeman Clark, a well-known minister at the time, tried to reconcile all of this mishmash of beliefs happening in the Unitarian church writing his book, Ten Great Religions. He identified there were only ten religions in the world. He was wrong, but it was a step in the right direction. He wanted to find out what they all had to teach us, what was common amongst them to try to reconcile everybody into the same church, believing at least something in the center of all the myriad sentiments that were held. His book went through 
30 different revisions between 1871 and 1893 when the last revision happened, which also happens to be the year of the Great Columbian Exposition in Chicago, which coincided with the first ever Parliament of World Religions here in this country. And it was a parliament of world religions. There were Jainists and Zoroastrians and Muslims and Jews and Christians of all flavors coming together, all for different purposes. Some trying to find the commonalities, some trying to take the opportunity to prove that their faith was actually the one true faith, and we're going to convince you of all of that. Not everybody participated. The Archbishop of Canterbury wrote a note to the organizers to say he would not be coming because to sit in a parliament of world religions would be to admit that the other religions were on equal ground with his, which was the true religion, and he couldn't, couldn't abide that. <laughs> Everybody came to that parliament with, with different intentions. The organizer of the parliament... He himself commented by the end of it that the parliament showed that Christianity is still the great quickener of humanity that is now educating those who do not accept its doctrines, that there is no teacher to be compared with Jesus, no savior except Jesus, and the non-Christian world can give us valuable criticism about how we practice, but it's only for the sake of our own improvement as Christians. So... We're headed in the right direction. Not quite there yet. But the inspiration of the Parliament of World Religions actually urged the Universalist Church in America, at least in some quarters of it, to shift from an outlook towards a universal salvation as their theology to looking for exactly what it was that was common and universal in the religions of the world, learning what they had to tell us and what they had to give us. And that leads us right into today when the Unitarians and the Universalists merged and they start working out their principles and their sources. And today we list in the hymnal still the six sources that inform our religious tradition, including Jewish and Christian teachings, including humanist teachings, including the world religions as kind of an umbrella and the lessons they have to teach us and our own experiences of the world and how we process those. There's no one belief. In 1803, the Universalists got together to write a statement of faith that had three points to it, which I can't remember right now. But the important part of that uh, profession of faith was that it had a little postscript at the end of it that said, of course, this is what we agree on as the basics. This is just what we could agree on. Your congregation, its mileage may vary. So if you need to come up with other more personal statements that better reflect what your people believe, go ahead and do that. We're not going to tell you not to. This is everything we have inherited. And so what we have today is what we call a non-creedal religion. There is no one creed that any church or any member of a church has to assent to in order to be a part of it. 
when I do introductory classes on Unitarian Universalism, one of the ways I define it is this. It is not a church concerned with a question, what should we believe? The most important question is, how shall we live together? How shall we live together across all of our differences? And what this means is that a Unitarian Universalist church, to some degree, is something of a laboratory where we are conducting a grand and radical experiment to figure out how we live together in spite of our differences. How we live together when we decline to profess that there's one true way, one true religion. Again, this should not work. This is a lot to ask of human beings, and yet it does. And the reason it works is because we live into covenants instead of creeds. We live on the promises we make to one another about how it is we will live together just inside this small community. We pledge to walk together in the ways of love known and to be made known. What is holy is still revealing itself. What is at the center and what is greater than us is still revealing itself. We are still seeing new ways of being year after year after year. We are a living tradition, walking together in ways we know and in the ways we'll figure out tomorrow. And every Sunday after we finish that first hymn, we stand here and we recite our unison affirmation, the closest thing to a formal covenant we probably have right here in this congregation. Love is the doctrine of this church. And that's really it. That's really the heart of it. That's why this works. That's why we are starting to reorganize our understanding of ourselves and what our values are in the Unitarian Universalist Association. You heard Tina talk about the building blocks of the house of love, and now we are working on a model that places love at the center of everything that we value with the other values spinning out and coming home to that one thing at the center, that great love, that great heart at the center I like to talk about. And this is not an unusual place to be. If we look back at some of the central tenets of some of the world's religions, we see that some form of the golden rule exists in almost every major religion. If you step into my office, I have another poster similar to that with these same quotes as a reminder to me that it is love at the center that connects us all, that bridges the divides amongst us. So in that regard, I will contradict myself 
and say there actually is one true way. And that true way is just love in all its forms at the heart of everything we do. Love in and of itself is the true way of being together. Not any one of the various expressions of that love, just the ways of love. My own journey into Unitarian Universalism began, oddly enough, with my own study of world religions and starting to see the commonalities among them. I would prove some of my theories wrong over the years. But what came to me one day in the study were these words. God speaks to everyone in their own language. So who the heck am I to say that what I hear is the one and only message? It's not a popular idea at a Jesuit university, let me just say that. I wandered for years, not knowing where I belonged with this idea in my head until Jess and I finally found ourselves inside the doors of a Unitarian church, and all of a sudden, that idea I had, one, discovered it wasn't original, Two, it was welcomed. My still figuring things out was welcomed. And in being welcomed, the deeper I dove in to figuring out what it was I believed in the midst of all these different beliefs around me. And in that study, I discovered a wonderful metaphor from the late Reverend Forrest Church, the cathedral of the world. There is one light, he writes, but it is filtered through many windows, and we all stand on the grounds of the great cathedral of the world, each of us only seeing particular facets of that light, depending on which window we're standing near. And sometimes, if we're not laser-focused on that, we get glimpses of the light coming in in other ways. And that is good. But we must not make the mistake of thinking that our window is the window. And more importantly than that, we must not cast stones at the other windows. No gatekeeping. Why? Why is this the way this faith tradition chooses to live, especially now? especially when the divides between us feel so deep in this country? And the answer is exactly because those divisions seem so deep and so unbridgeable. 
There are extremists in this world who would very much like to return to the days of one king, one religion, one true way. Some of them here would love to put that into law somehow. And those same people have done a pretty good job of convincing all of us that those divisions between us, especially around what we believe, are unbridgeable, are deep. And this is what makes this laboratory, this is what makes our radical experiment so urgent and so necessary even today. We are presenting the counter-argument. We are saying this here is a home for your beliefs and your beliefs and your beliefs and her beliefs and mine. And in this way, setting an example to the world of just how pluralism can work in action and just how a pluralism of faith and belief can be conducted successfully at a community level. So we set an example of what a community looks like when love as the one way sits at the center or a Christian and an atheist and a Buddhist and someone from the Jewish faith and agnostics and people who never grew up in a church before and people who do not know what they believe and do not know if they will ever know what they believe. Where all of those people walk into a church And the only punchline is, that's what we call Sunday. That's how we build a beloved community. May it be so.